Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Time for school. Rock school with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. You need to can that stuff, you know. I'll I'll take first first of all, stop cursing, and second (laughs) of all, he's right. It was a Jenga tower. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show from the campus Southeastern Louisiana University, 14 affiliates strong. Hello out to everyone who's listening to us all around the United States. My name is Joe Burns, and I am joined in the studio by four guys that I am inside of a band with. We call ourselves Impaired Faculties. We'll just go around the horn to my left. You are? Bill Robinson. And you play? Guitar. And sing. You are? Dan McCarthy. And you play? Keyboards. And sing. You are? Randy Satoon. And you play? Bass. And you are? Ralph Wood. And you play? Drums. Good enough. Again, we are impaired faculties, and we're going to be playing October 16th at the Columbia in downtown Hammond. Tickets are available now. By all means, go to the Columbia, downtown Hammond. And since we are a nonprofit radio station, keep in mind that it is a $12 donation to see the uh, the show unless you are a student then it is a five dollar donation to see the show now because we are a radio station or a radio show that goes around the country uh, we can't just sit here and talk about the concept of this radio uh, show having you know a, a band in here that's putting on a gig uh, a Thursday a week from now so what we have to do is talk about being in bands uh, so I've decided this show will talk uh, to the guys who have been in bands uh, throughout their career and see if we can't talk about a topic that's basically what it's like being in a band. And we'll play songs from their past bands and also the band we're in right now because uh, Impaired Faculties now has two brand new original songs that we're going to have up on um, iTunes and also a couple other places where you can go and download them. So let's go around the horn here. I'll just ask a question that I found in my research What's the best thing about being in a band? What's the worst thing about being in a band? Answer either one of them, Bill. What do you think? The best thing about being in a band is that you get to play music with people you like. Uh, In my case with this one, I'm playing music with the best musicians that I've ever played with and also with people that were all my friends before I started playing. So it doesn't get much better than that. What's the worst thing about being in a band? Uh, you don't get as much sleep and your back hurts all the time from carrying the amp around. <laughs> I'll buy that. Ralph, what's the best thing about being in a band? I have to follow up with what Bill said, is that you get to play music with friends. You get to create something if you do original music, and that's and that's really the best thing. Um, the worst thing about playing in a band is that sometimes there's friction in the band about direction of the band, but that's just the way it goes. Dan, what's the best thing about being in a band? Um, it's very much just playing the music, and I um, mean, it's even if it's not originals, it's always a creative process. Just by mm-hmm. creating any kind of music and ha- getting together with five people and trying to think as one mind is a pretty exciting thing. And it's not an easy thing to do. It's not as simple as just playing the notes. It's really listening and hearing what people do and getting that all together. So it's very exciting when you get five people working as one machine. It's it's a thrill. What's the worst thing? It's a lot of time. I mean, it's it just it's not 
you think that you know you see a band play they just stand up on stage for a couple hours that's it it's not it just takes a lot of time it really is a massive commitment to do it well and which we are doing but it's a lot of time never leaves your head either never you wake up every morning the song's your head you go to sleep the song's your head. it's always there it kind of takes yes. over your life which is randy yeah i have to kind of echo what the, the guys said um it's the creative process it's the the being with a group of like-minded people and being on a mission and 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 just the satisfaction from growing i mean if you look at where we were from that first practice to where we are today there's just this (laughs) satisfaction that it's hard to get anywhere else and so it's just real a real joy for me i I just love it got a downside um well from what perspective from a songwriter perspective it's very um frustrating to get what's in your head out but when you hear the rest rest of the guys put their part in it it comes out sounding really great and then the little spats yeah yeah that's that can be frustrating speaking about our family getting what's in your head out we're going to start with a brand new song from impaired faculties that's us sex drugs and rock and roll ralph should get on mic because this is now are you the sole author of this music and lyrics no no i wrote the lyrics for this I don't know, probably seven or eight years ago. And so different bands that I've played in have kind of kicked it around. But uh, Brent Lewis, who played, who I, who I played with in the band Finger Cuff, we had a version of this that never got recorded. Uh, he was kind enough to share the music with us, and then we took it and kind of tweaked it a little bit. Um, and so it, it, it's finally, it's been recorded, and uh, this is it. Sounds like this on Rock School. Coming out of the brand new song from Impaired Faculty, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, authored by Ralph Wood and a few of the people that he had worked with. And throughout the show, we're going to play uh, songs from bands that the members of Impaired Faculties had been in before. In fact, the next song coming up will be something that Randy had been in before. Uh, the song will be called Jamie, and it's coming up here in just a minute. Now, the uh, the guys in the band are going to hear song or hear questions come at them that came up in discussions while we we were doing uh, choice songs for uh, on stage and while we were doing things in practice. So those of you who are looking to get into a band or are in a band, you'll probably hear this coming out. What's more important when you're in a band? Playing stuff that the audience wants to hear or playing stuff that the band wants to play? Let me preface this mm. by stating if Brown Eyed Girl comes up or Mustang Sally comes up or Nickelback comes up, it may come to fisticuffs. So let's move over to to Ralph Wood. What's more important in a band, playing stuff that the band wants to play or playing stuff that the audience wants to play? Or is there a mix in there somewhere? Well, I think it comes down to what the purpose of your band is. Uh, you know, if you want to be a wedding band or a show band where you gig every weekend, well, then certainly playing songs that the audience wants to hear becomes an essential thing. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if you want to be a creative artist, at some point, uh, you have to choose covers that are a little bit off of the beaten path that kind of inform your music style. And then certainly you need to go and learn and play your own original music at some point. Does that, does that trade, how do I put this, does that trade audience and money for creative process? Yes. And you're okay with that. Yeah, it does. I mean, well, it's the difference, you know. I mean, 
if you're a creative artist, at some point, what's in your head has has to come out. Okay. You know, if, if nobody did that, we'd have no hit singles, right? And if Aerosmith didn't channel what was in their head and record it, we wouldn't have Dream On. You know, if everybody was a cover band, we would still be playing the same <laughs> that's been around for 30 years. I'll believe so, that. So, yeah, you got at some point do what's in your head. That's how music moves forward. All right. Uh, let's see if we can go over here and get one that doesn't bleep. Bill, okay. what do you think? Well, you know, I may be a bad choice for that, but uh, I'll do what I can. Uh, Brown Eyed Girl is 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 out. Uh, it was a great song uh, a thousand times ago, but I've heard it too many times. Uh, I would play Mustang Sally if it was the Buddy Guy version. Uh, Nickelback, uh-uh. No, I I think you know again it's a balance. Uh, if if you, I, you know, I don't want to take the approach that the occasional band takes, which is that I'm going to deliberately try to offend my audience or, uh, you, you know, ram things down their throat. But at the same time, uh, I think you have to play stuff you like, or you just you know you, you'll be wanting to strangle yourself after a, a certain point. Um, uh, I also think that the, that the trade-off is is kind of worth it. Now, that's easy for me to say because most of the bands I was in before never made any money. Yeah. <laughs> never had very big audiences. And we still had a great deal of fun. But, um, you know, I, I think you, you just have to take chances with it. I mean, uh, you know, if you look even at some of the covers we do, one of, one of my favorite things that we do is, is Helter Skelter. And that is a very unlikely choice from amongst the Beatles catalog. I mean, you could you could probably ask other people to say, what Beatles song are we going to do? And, uh, you know, th- they would suggest 50 before they got to Helter Skelter. And yet it's great when we play it and people love it. Sure. Look, you know why Helter Skelter works? I think every band has to find its identity. You know, who are they? How do they sound? What is their sound? And then you take the songs. I mean, they can be popular songs and songs everybody's heard before they can be obscure songs but the point is is you take those songs like helter skelter and if you play it like you play it and it sounds good then i think you've accomplished the goal you'll you'll, you'll get attention and people will like you whether it's a song they've heard b- before or not and as long as that that theme is running throughout every song that you play you know at least for me i'm accomplishing my goal i'm not going to choose a song just to play it because somebody wants to hear it if it's something that we do well and it sounds like us and you know kind of a part of that is that they've heard the song before but we're doing it our way then then that's cool you know but helter skelter works because we do it well because we do it like us yeah and we've changed that song a little bit to fit our style and i think people see us having fun Mm -hmm. and and that's contagious i think it's a a mistake to play for an audience because if the music's performed well the audience will exist Mm -hmm. it creates i mean did the Ramones say we're going to play for an audience? No, they played it and then the audience created. I mean, you think of some bands, a band I like is Fish, a lot of people hate thing. They've done their own thing completely and they've created the biggest audience of any touring band right now. Okay. Now let's talk about a song that you wrote. Uh, obviously, this wasn't a, a cover, this is a brand new song that you wrote about how long ago? Oh, late 80s. Late 80s? Yes, and you'll hear it. You'll hear it in the keyboard sounds and the whole style. So I'm going to qualify this original. And the reason why I brought it in, Joe, is one of the first ones I recorded. I think we were recording in Studio in the Country and Techno Sound in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. And some of the guys from LaRue are playing on this track. Uh, David 
um, Peters, the drummer for LaRue, Jim Odom, who's a guitarist for LaRue, and, and uh, Dave Campo, who was a brother of Bobby Campo, who played in LaRue, and, and also Mark Angeron. Are you the lead singer in this? Oh, no, no, no. No. The, no. What part do you play in this song? Uh, keyboards, and I wrote the song with, with Mark Angeron, okay. who was my songwriting buddy and, and player in Rock Box. Okay. The song is Jamie. Here it is on Rock School. Okay, coming into the first break here on Rock School. Remember, Impaired Faculties plays at the Columbia Theater October 16th in Hammond. Those of you who are listening to us in Pennsylvania, now two affiliates in Pennsylvania, make the trip. Get yourself an airplane ticket. Come on down and see us. October 16th, that's a Thursday in the Columbia, 7.30 start. Remember, $12 donation to the Columbia and $5 donation to the Columbia if you have a student ID. So now we're into the break. How much do you charge? How much do you charge to play a gig? I know I'm into this band for a healthy amount of money for, you know, equipment and such. You're in for a healthy amount of money. Your drums, my God, the amount of money it takes to buy a drum kit. How much does you, do you charge to, to play a gig? How do you set that price? I think Anybody. at first you, you charge what the traffic will bear, uh, which is that you let people make you an offer. And then if people like you you can start asking for what you want that's that's a that's an approach that worked for me with uh with other things that i do like lecturing where it used to be free and now it's not quite so free um i i think you know once there's more demand for you you can go up on the price i think you need to consider things like do you have to provide sound or sound being provided for you, how big the gig is, if you have to hire sound out, it's going to have an impact. Either they need to pay you or they need to pay to have a sound person. Um, are you traveling? How far yeah. you're traveling? Is it over? I mean, if you're going to be overnight, you have to stay on the road. All of those things make a, uh, a difference, you know? I mean, it's always nice to get 100 bucks a guy if, if, if you can get that. I when, think the nature of the gig really matters. I mean, if it's like, for example, the Columbia, we're not making anything. So I was going to say, when do you play for but free? It's too. one we are going to hopefully get some benefit in terms of publicity. People are going to know about us, and right. it is charitable, and I think it's something we believe in. Um, so sometimes less money or no money is beneficial if there's a lot of publicity, and we're we're new when we're trying to get known. But when you're not new, um, if it's a private party, you're not going to get much publicity for playing for 50 people. So then you're going to want to charge. So I think it depends upon the nature of the gig. Sure. And maybe there's food involved. Exactly. Quite possibly. Or food always works for me. Sure. But, yeah. uh, as does drink. But, um, you know, I, I think in, in my case, I'm perfectly happy to play for the Columbia and, and, you know, support the arts at Southeastern. I'm also perfectly happy to play for something like Celebrate America, where we helped raise almost $10,000 for the Wounded Warrior Project. But right. at some point, you got to make some money or you can't afford to play those free yeah. gigs for other people. So it, it, it has to balance sure. out. Well, we got to take a break, give everybody a chance to play a little bit of uh, commercial break and uh, make some money for themselves. So back in a minute on Rock School. (music) 
coming out of the break, uh, we're going to play a song from Ralph Wood, one of his uh, earlier bands, and uh, he gave us a quick rundown of why it's important to him, and you'll hear it here in just a minute. So I'll ask you this question. came from a site, 20 Things You Didn't Know About Being in a Band. Uh, this never occurred to me. You're in a band. What's the unwritten rule about playing in another band? Here we are in Louisiana. Everybody's in a band. I'll just go to you first, Ralph. You are, I mean, you're a whale of a drummer. Somebody sees you, and they call you and say, hey, look, we're doing a gig this weekend. Our drummer can't make it. We need you to sit in with us. We're going to give you 200 bucks. But you're in this band. What's the unwritten rule about going and playing with another band while you're in this band? I mean, I don't know there is any, any written rule about it. You know, if you can help out some fellow musicians and play a one-off gig... That's one thing. You know, I've never been a player where I bounce from band to band because relationships are important to me. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's really going to come, come, come down to what your priorities are and what your relationship with the people you're in a band with. Okay. Um, at Randy, least for me, do anyway. The, do you have the same thought process? I or? The, well, I think from the band perspective, it depends on the collective level of maturity. And I've been in bands before years, of course, when I was younger, where you just didn't do that. You know, you were all in with this band, and and that was it. Of course, you know, the scenario you presented, Joe, I wouldn't have a problem with that, you know, sitting in. I, I think that's part of growth and development. I mean, being being around other artists with other styles or whatever, I, I think it's it's good for the growth as an individual. But what if it goes individual. farther? What if they want you to be in both I bands? You can't do that. You can't do yeah, that. Yeah, you just can't do it. Not only because you just don't have enough time and, and the stress that would... You'd have to take away from somewhere. And I, I don't think it would be fair to the, the band that you're in that if you're taking time away from them to kind of support you know, some individual interest or some other band. So at that point, you have to make a decision. Would you go into a second band? Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't see a... I mean, why not? I mean... I just it depends upon the vibe of the band. I mean, I think of so many people that did their own solo stuff. Jerry Garcia had the Jerry Garcia band, Greg Allman had the Greg Allman band. It's just really common for people to have bands where they do different things they can't do in that other band. One of my favorite drummers right now, uh, Marco Menon, has his own band, the Aristocrats, but he also plays on he's Joe Satriani I mean, he's Joe Satriani's touring drummer and right. he's um Stephen Wilson's Wilson. drummer and they do it and it's just they do different things in these different contexts because right. this guy's so massively creative that some things fit in some things others don't fit with others and they do different things with different musicians so I don't see it as long as it doesn't annoy everyone in which case that's going to ruin well, the that's, band well so, that gets back to Ralph's that, yeah. points about if the it's annoying maturity of the band members right, yeah. So, yeah. would you do it? Um, I would do the one-off gig if somebody asked me I also would, would play on uh, somebody else's recording if they asked me but uh, I think that would be as far as I would go with it, uh, because I don't think I could handle it personally. You know, yeah. you know, I have a, I have a day job. Uh, if I was Marco Miniman, I'd yeah. be I'd be playing twenty four hours a day. But uh, I, since I have a day job, one band is about my limit, and so you know, anything more than a one off, I would feel like I was cheating you guys. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about this. Ralph brought a song from a group called uh, Fusebox. Tell us about this uh, this song. Why it's all important. Right, all right. So Fusebox is my the first band I played in college. So I'm gonna. I think this was recorded about 1987. That's when we recorded the tape. It came out. It was a tape only release. Um, I came up playing in uh, the Carbondale, Illinois music scene, where there was a premium on bands writing, recording, and playing their own music. Those were the bands that played most of the bars for the most part. Those were the bands that played the uh, the clubs in the basements. 
And so, I mean, once we'd been a band for about six or seven months, it was important to have a tape. That was your calling card. And so this is a song, Fusebox, um, that's by the band Fuse, Fusebox. What, uh, what hand did you have in it? Did you write lyrics? Did you write music? No, I, I simply played drums on this track. Okay. Greg, Greg Kessler, um, that's at uh, o- Ohio University, wrote the lyrics. And then I'm not sure if it was Todd Hartman or Mark, Mark Josemski that wrote the, me- the, the music for this. Okay. It's Fusebox here on Rock School. Bottom of the hour here, coming out of Fusebox. You say it was your first band or one of your first bands? Uh, there was a band I played in before this one, and half of the members of that band ended up in this band. Okay. So. Well, that runs me into a question that I found on a few uh, little, I already call them billboards, you know, forums that people mm-hmm. have. And a few people ask this question When are you good enough to be in a band? And we've got people listening out there, and I, you know, I'm 50 years old. I've been playing guitar since I was, you know, gosh, 11. So I think I'm good enough to at least take a shot at being in a band right now. But you know, you you were how old when you formed your first band, or were asked to be in your first band? I was 16 the first time I, I played out, where I didn't sit in with another band. So okay. So at, at what what happened that you knew you were good enough to be in a band? Just got yeah, I could or carry. What? I mean, I could carry some basic drum beats and that but you know i mean i don't particularly think that's a good question right if you got friends and you all have instruments start playing together you are bound to get better okay you know because that's because that's how it happens if you wait for the magic point to where you're you're steve Vai, you're you will have missed your opportunity and you have to learn I'm still waiting for playing that. in a band <laughs> is as much technical skill as it is learning how to play with other people mm-hmm. you know and being creative with your instrument my, so yeah, my one, first banjo was a, a jazz band, and I was absolutely not good enough to be in this group. They were all just insanely good musicians, and it was bad for me for a while. But it was hardest I've ever done. Worked so hard, and in the end, I finally became good enough. But man, it was—I grew like three different steps in this right. experience. It was so hard, and I—it was, which is one of the great things about being a band is the growth you have. It was unbelievable. Right. In one of the forums, a guy quoted Joe Walsh, and he said, "You should start playing immediately." That no, no matter what no you know point you are in your musical career, you should be playing, you know, immediately. So, uh, let me just go on to a song then, since it's not a since it's not a very good question. We brought along some things that Bill Robison has uh, has written. What are we doing? Uh, this is a song called Weem Street Blues. Now, okay. uh, I started playing in bands when I was eleven, which was probably way too early. Uh, my my first uh, first on stage performance with a band that I put together myself was a parody of a exterminator commercial that was a parody of Batman, which was the old Adam West Batman, which was kind of a parody of the Batman comics. It was a parody of a parody of a parody of a parody. <laughs> and we played the Batman theme and we won. And that was it for me. You know, I got a little plastic trophy and that was all I needed to encourage me. Um, the song that we're doing here is is actually one that I, I wrote in about 1974. It's somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Classic uh, rock. B- b- well, no, it's blues, really. <laughs> um, but I re-recorded it a couple of years ago for a friend of mine who was uh, 
having a class reunion and invited me to DJ the thing, and uh, who also was was not in very good health at the time and, and, and actually died a couple of months later. So it's it's got a lot of meaning for me personally for that reason uh, because he used to sing it along with me uh, sometimes, you know, if we were a beer or two into the evening. And uh, it, it's it's kind of fun. Good. It's Weems Street Blues here on Rockville. Just want to point out that our plasma physicist who plays keyboards did the mathematics very quick. That song, Weems Street Blues, 40 years old. <clears throat> 40 years ago. Yes, I wrote it when I was three. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, like, like Mozart. 33. Yeah. <laughs> now, off off mic, you stated you have a friend who, I, would you say son was a bass yeah, player? Yeah, son is a and He's being school. picky about getting into a band. Yeah, and he's never been in a band yet. I'm like, well, he doesn't like these. I'm like, just get in and play. Like, being a rotten band, just being a band, you're going to learn yeah. something and you'll... Um, yeah, it's. I, I think, um, and Ralph pointed out, it's fear, and I think it is fear. It's like you gotta, you're gonna fall a lot, and you're gonna stink, and that's oh, yeah. okay. And um, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, no one gets hurt doing it, but except maybe your ego. But sure, <laughs> which do it process, yeah. which leads me to a sort of a fun question. Just for no, you know, if you're getting into a band, this stuff's going to happen. Um, I did an extremely stupid thing one time, and I don't know why I did it to this point. I used to play in a band called Rick and the Rockets. Yes, I was a rocket. And we were at a a bar one night, and some guy walked up and made some kind of a comment about my playing. I took my guitar off, and I handed it to him and basically said, if you can do better, uh, yeah, it was maybe the dumbest thing I've ever done. Just for the fun of it, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you on stage? Can you come up with one of them? And while you're, while you're thinking of it, I'll tell you a quick uh, Dweezil Zappa story. He had a, you know, a, a volume pedal. There's a little string inside of it that moves the little potentiometer. Mm-hmm. It snapped. And they tried to figure out why, once he touched the, the, the pedal, it died. Everything died. Nothing would work. And it took them 45 minutes. They were three songs from the end. Took them 45 minutes to figure out why the volume pedal wouldn't work. And they finally said to the audience, because, you know, after 45 minutes, you know, I'm sure the audience would be nice for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. But after that, come on. And they finally said, well, we're going to play for another hour and a half for you. And they did. But that had to, you know, he just had to have organs dying one after another when this thing <laughs> wouldn't play. And it was a piece of string about that long inside of it. So what's the worst thing that ever happened to well, you on stage? I've played a lot, and there's so many things. It's kind of hard to to pick one. You know, I I think the problem you you're totally exposed when independent when you get up on stage because there's a lot that goes into to sounding good. You know, from the PA to the effects to to everything. And um, there were times in bands that I played where all of that went wrong. The technology just went wrong, and you make a choice like Dweezil did, where you got to get it fixed. I didn't have that luxury. We had to play knowing that we just didn't sound good because the sound was, was so important to what we did. And, you know, if you take pride in what you do, that can be a horrifying experience that lingers with you over time. I mean, I, when you have those kinds of gigs 
and nothing goes right, especially the sound, I, I would be in the dumps for weeks because mm-hmm. that's how connected I am to what I'm doing and how I think, you know, uh, whatever band I'm in should should sound like, especially live, you know, right. and you build, you work to that point and then it just goes wrong. So there's nothing specific, but there were a lot of those kinds of things. And it, it was really, you know, it can affect you. <laughs> it really can. It did many times for me. Dan, what do you got? What happened? Yeah, this one was, uh, we were playing um, in high school and we're doing, and the show was going so, so well. The crowd was really reacting. And we went to this, uh, that George Benson song on Broadway. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Well, it starts with the piano player just going dun, dun. And then I come blaring in with the trumpet. He started in the wrong key. Oh no! He started a whole note above because in that song, if you know the song, you jump up a whole step. He started in there, and so I go, and everyone's like, "What are you doing wrong?" And Jimmy looked up, like, "Oh my God, I've screwed you ever so bad." And to this day, I saw him last summer. His brother said, "Oh yeah, I remember when Jimmy really messed with you that time." And it was he felt horrible, and it was and it killed it because the crowd was getting really into it. They're clapping as we started, and then just so that was wasn't my fault, but it was my fault. According to the entire why is this trumpet player doing this? Like, sure. As Steve Vai wow. said one time, you just didn't hit a wrong note. You hit the wrongest yes. note. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a story, Ralph? You've, you've toured more than any of us. You have to have one. You know, about the, the most embarrassing thing was is when the bass drum beater fell, flew off the bass drum pedal and then I had to spend considerable amount of time trying to find it between songs <laughs> that, and, and to this day so you've lost it <laughs> oh yeah I mean, I mean if you don't tighten it down it'll 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 shoot behind you and then on a dark stage you got to try to track it down and it's and it's black isn't it it's hard to see yeah, yeah so you always got to make always make sure you tighten it before the gig and yeah. always have a backup Absolutely. bass drum pedal all right here's one from us impaired faculties from our last gig at the columbia remember we're playing the columbia october 16th that's uh, a thursday coming up 12 dollar donation from everybody except students if you got your id five dollar donation this is helter skelter live from impaired faculties on rock school Coming into the second break, as we are eating up time like nothing. But the person who's recording the show tells me it's entertaining. So let's be entertaining. Gentlemen, when do you decide, as a band, it's time to stop performing a song? Let's go to the guy who told me in the last practice it was time to stop performing a song. Go ahead, Ralph. When do you say it's time to stop performing a song? When it sucks. <laughs> if you're playing a song... suck! If you're playing a, if you're playing a song and it sucks... Then it's time to quit playing that song. What do you suppose? And I'll just tell everybody what happened. We were playing Right Place, Wrong Time. Why did it, and I'll, I'll just answer this for me, why do you think it had such magic once or twice? Because when we played it the first couple of times, you got to admit, it had such magic. And then every time we played it afterwards, it you're right, it sucked. It, it went straight to Hades. What happened, do you suppose? It sounded good once. Why? Um, why did we have? Why did it come every together? Every once in a while, things. Everything. Every once in a while, things come together. You know, and if you're lucky, that happens on a consistent basis because a song fits the players in the band. Um, everybody's focused on playing it. Everybody believes that it's a good song to be played. Once those things start to vary, then the song falls apart. Well, and yeah. and you know you have to. There's songs that sound good that may not be your favorite song, but you play them well. Then there's songs you wish you could play 
that you just sound terrible playing with this group of musicians. And so you need to you need to can that stuff, you know? I'll, I'll take part First of all, stop cursing. And second of all, he's right. It was a Jenga tower. It really did. It just clonk. I'll take part of the blame for it. And I, I honestly don't know why, but I just could not find the groove. What a... What a breakdown. <laughs> that was bad news. Going to be back in a minute here on Rock School. All right, coming out of the break, uh, I want to make sure this song gets played. So let's go straight into this. Uh, this is from another one of Ralph's bands, Crank. First of all, tell us who Crank is. Uh, Crank was another band from Carbondale, Illinois. It was uh, Scott Furtwangler was the the lead vocalist, guitar player. Dave Dave Stecker played lead guitar on it. Roger Pugh was the bass player on on that track. And okay. so now you have a lot out there from Crank. Uh, I mean, you've sent me to pages where a lot of music is out there, and you brought the song "Fail to See." Yeah. Of all the music you have with that band, tell us about "Fail to See." I mean, Why fail. Did- Fail to see is is really kind of what we did in a nutshell. Uh, you know, it it shifts times three times during the song. Um, it has backup harmonies. Uh, we were recording right at the time that Nirvana broke, and so we always kind of looked at Nirvana as a peer rather than some some fancy group uh, that that had made it. But it was hardcore uh, coming out of out of eighties hard hard rock and punk punk rock. Um, and so it's it, it was what was going on at the time, and we were for sure we were going to be rock stars. And evidently, it didn't work out. Yeah. You're a rock star now, Ralph. I'm a rock star now. <laughs> yes, yeah, how about that? I want to make sure it gets played. Fail to see it's crank here in rock school. Last break here on Rock School, and we got to do it quick. Just remember, October 16th at the Columbia Downtown Hammond, Impaired Faculties, us, will be playing October 16th, 7.30 p.m. start. Make sure you come see us. Here's a statement I found online. Despite all of the crud, or the word Ralph's used twice, despite all the crud that comes with it, being in a band is going to be the best time you ever had in your life. True or false? True. True. Absolutely true. true. Why? It's just it's just the creative process. It's fun to play. It's nice to do stuff with your friends. You can't beat it. Yes. True or false? True. True. It's the best thing because if you're a creative person and music is your thing, this is your outlet. True or false? We'll see. I mean, um, I think it, <laughs> no. I mean, I, honestly, I'm not going to say it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. I've done a lot of incredible things in my life, which have done that too. So we'll yeah. see. I mean, getting a PhD in physics was a great thing I did in my life, which I'm glad I did. So, Randy, true or false? True. Now, talk to us about the final song. This is the one you wrote, band has recorded, and you can hear this one played live uh, on Thursday night, uh, October 16th. The song's called Princess. Yeah, I don't think it would sound like it does if, without the influence of the band. And the guys playing on it, and all the suggestions and input from all the guys. Yeah. It's great song. Excellent. That's it. Class is dismissed. Daddy's girl, all alive, little ray of sunshine.